I'd like to see us turn more and more and more back to Mary as our patroness, as our mother who's with us and say, please, Blessed Mother, pray, get us back on track. Help us to know how to listen to your son and do whatever he tells us to do. Uh, Grace, you want to sit up? All right. Great. Oh, the way they tell their bishop what to do around I know. here, Andrew. <laughs> we have this special, this special privilege because of lighting. <laughs> <laughs> because of your mic. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, we have a really exciting month of December. There are two major Marian feasts. Yeah. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, the Immaculate, the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. Yep. Uh, and then December 12th, I want to check my notes here. Yeah, December 12th, the, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Yeah, I love these feast days. Yeah. Of course, I love anything about Mary. I love talking about the Blessed Yeah, Mary. she really is so she clo- close and dear to you. You've said that yes, many times. Yes, yeah. Well, and, and please God, dear to all of us. She's yeah. the mother of the church. Yeah. Yeah, so on, again, December 8th is the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. Can you first uh, explain what a solemnity is? Well, solemnity is the highest form of liturgical celebration in the church. So it's it's a signal that the, the church is giving a special weight and significance uh, to what is being celebrated and, and making sure the, that everybody in the church really focuses well and, and and with with understanding on what's happening and what's being celebrated here. So is a solemnity, it is a feast, but if you look at your liturgical calendar and you see solemnity and then for another uh, another day you see a feast, are they are is that different or are those terms just the same? No, no, there's there's a differentiation. So the solemnity Sunday, for example, is a solemnity. Oh, Christmas wow. Easter is a solemnity. Every Sunday is a yeah, solemnity. Yeah, and and the, oh. the clue is is what is fully celebrated in the mass. So in a solemnity, you'll have, for example, the Gloria, as well as the Creed. In a in a liturgical feast, the term feast, you'll have the Gloria but not the Creed, and in a liturgical memorial, it would be sort of like our normal weekday. Mass without either the Gloria or the Creed. Okay. So the solemnity really ratchets it up, um, if I can use those terms, to, to the highest significance possible. Top tier. Top tier, top okay. shelf. Okay, yeah. so there's solemnity feast, and then obviously there's also, obviously, well, maybe not so obviously, then there's memorials, right? Uh-huh. So they're kind of like the third one down in right. a sense. Okay, that's interesting. So the, the Immaculate Conception, first of all, what is that? What it refers to is the is that Mary herself was conceived free of original sin. Okay. Often people will say this refers to uh, the way Christ himself was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's a different mystery. I mean, the two are related, but this this pertains to Mary's own conception free from original sin. Okay, yeah. so the fact that she was completely untouched by any taint. inclination towards sin. That's right. So because she also didn't ever sin. So if you if you are if you are conceived without original sin, then you are conceived without its effects, right? Which is concupiscence and that tendency towards sin. So this is why we will speak of the sinless Virgin Mary. Okay, I've got I got a few questions here. And why is the Immaculate Conception the highest of feasts, a solemnity? Well, again, it's it's related in um, in a in a beautiful way wondrous way, really, to the, to the mystery of the Incarnation. So the Incarnation, uh, the eternal Son of God, 
all right, assuming human flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And so what this, what the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception teaches is that God, in view of this gift of the Incarnation, prepared Mary and prepared her womb to receive the divine guest. If I'm, if I'm talking in simple terms to kids, and they, what's this Immaculate Conception? I'll often say, well, look, your, your parents tell you that there's a guest that's going to come to the house. What's the first thing they tell you to do? Well, we got to clean our room. Exactly, you got to clean your room, right? Make things ready for the guest. And so this is what the Lord has done in his chosen one in Mary to prepare the way to receive, if I can put it this way, a guest into the home, the womb in which she would be receiving him. And in fact, it was the most wondrous act of preparation as a summit of a whole history of Preparation all through the history of of the um, ancient Israelite people, our ancestors in the faith, all through those those events recounted in the Old Testament. God was preparing. God was preparing history. God was preparing humanity to receive this most wondrous gift of the Savior in His incarnate Son. And His His final most wondrous act of preparation was to receive was to prepare Mary by having her conceived free of original sin. Um, and, and it's also important to, to highlight her, her own need to be free from original sin, uh, even if in an anticipatory way, uh, because Christ came for everyone, right, including his mother. Right? And so her, her experience of the redemptive grace of Christ happened at the moment of her conception in view of the role that she would exercise in the whole mystery of salvation. Because, I mean, for us, uh, in in the narrative of history, Mary precedes the birth of Jesus, and yet yeah. her immaculate conception is because of Jesus. And, and, and in preparation for Jesus. And in preparation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Now, when we're talking about the, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, it bears mentioning that there isn't, as far as I understand, direct reference to the idea of Mary being conceived without sin in Scripture, not direct. So this this takes us to what the church and how the church understands God's revelation, right. right? God's revealing the truth of Himself, and in revealing, and also in revealing His um, His plan, His plan of salvation. And that revelation happens in both tradition and Scripture, and so. Those two come together when we say that Christ revealed the fullness of truth in himself, but the church's understanding of the fullness of that revelation unfolds through time under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so the church, again, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, reflecting upon this unique role of the Blessed Mother, this uh, redemptive power of Jesus Christ, and, and pondering how wondrously the church throughout its history sort of intuited this as true. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was something that wasn't just sort of thought, pulled out of the air too cool. It, it, it's something that kind of rested among the people of God through centuries. And so finally, um, it was in 1854, and in preparation to 1854, the Pope um, consulted with theologians. He consulted with the bishops to understand the voice of, of the people through them and came to realize that this is something that, yes, is held, so held within the body of the faithful, 
that we can raise it now to the level of dogmatic definition and claim it to be part of God's revelation to the world. Okay. Okay. It's with this particular, um, this, the story and the teaching of Mary's immaculate conception there, there's so many different questions and I had some fun looking, looking it up and and learning a little bit more myself. And my understanding is that it was in, it wasn't until 1854 Mm -hmm that Pope Pius IX, he formalized the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. He said, this is true. Uh, This is true for the whole Catholic Church, right? Yep. Uh, 1854 isn't that long ago, right? So can you just give a little bit more context as to to maybe what inspired that, the, the formalization of this teaching and and why does that happen in the church? It's it's not uncommon for the church to formalize things years into the church's well, existence. Sure, but it, it comes from what I was saying earlier that um, God has fully revealed everything he wants his church and the world to know in the gift of his son. Mm-hmm. But that divine revelation, the revelation of divine mysteries is given to very weak, limited human intellects. Mm-hmm. And that's why the church says we need the Holy Spirit to guide us. And that's why the church says that we need to take time, often over centuries as we ponder debate, think things through, all all of that. Look at things from different angles um, and let that unfold over the centuries. So, for example, it was um, three, four hundred years after the death and resurrection of Christ before the church came to make its own dogmatic definition of the two natures of Christ, that he's both human and divine. That took time to come to that realization. Mm -hmm. And so, in this case, it took many, many years it's not the first time it was thought of. As I mentioned earlier, looking back over history, the writings of the fathers and so on, there was this sort of initial intuition, growing awareness of, as they pondered the, the mystery of Mary, that the Lord must have acted in her way in some way to prepare for this extraordinary role that she was to play. And sometimes things are just tranquilly held over time without really thinking it all through or, or bringing it to the level of... of uh, of conscious awareness. Now, whatever the circumstances were at that particular time in the 1800s, I'm not so sure. But obviously the Pope felt moved to explore this more deeply and to uh, and to consult um, more specifically with theologians and with the bishops and, and then come to that realization again, you know, guided by the Church, that this is part of the deposit of faith. Because mm-hmm. someone might say, well, the church has been around for the Catholic Church has been around for more than two thousand years, and it wasn't until eighteen fifty four till you figured this out, right? Yeah, well, you yeah. know, jeez, <laughs> yeah. jeez. No, these are divine mysteries contemplated by weak human minds. Right. So we ought to expect things to take time. Take time. Yeah. There's there's a, there's a patience in Catholicism. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Pope Pius the Ninth, when he declared the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, he did it ex cathedra. Can mm-hmm. you? What is that? So there are there are moments when the when the Pope will teach infallibly. Okay. Um, now, again, that's that the the doctrine of papal infallibility is something that I think is 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 not well understood. Sometimes mm-hmm. people think that you know if the Pope's going to make a prediction about the weather, it's going to be an infallible thing. No, no, no. It's when it pertains to faith and morals, and moreover, when um, he makes the decision to exercise the fullness of his teaching authority. That's what that means, ex cathedra, from the chair. So the symbol is the teaching authority of the office holder. So every bishop has a cathedra 
around which the cathedral is built. That's that's a symbol of his teaching authority in the local church, and the Pope has his as a symbol of his teaching authority for the universal church. Um, instances in which the Pope has taught infallibly ex cathedra are, are rare, comparably rare. So the one, one is defining the dogma of the Immaculate Conception in 1854, and the other by Pius XII in 1950, the dogma of the Assumption of the Blessed Mother. Okay. Again, that was another exercise of papal infallibility. So the circumstances um, and, and the subject matter they're in the church, they're very, very strictly constrained. It's not just any thought that comes to the, to the mind of the Pope or any and every word that he speaks uh, um, carries with it uh, the weight of infallibility. Okay, so we, we can have j- truly absolute confidence in, in the truth of these, these dogmas. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in, in the Hail Mary, of course, we all pray that as Catholics during the rosary, uh, the, that prayer says Hail Mary full of grace. And then later on, blessed art thou amongst women, mm-hmm. hail full of grace. How, how does that relate to the dog, the dogma of the immaculate well, conception? You know, that's a great question. In fact, we could probably look back in the light of what the church has come to know under the Holy Spirit to see there a scriptural basis, right? That That is a scriptural phrase. It's it's how the angel Gabriel greeted Mary, hail, full of grace. Right? Well, now in the light of history and the subsequent uh, spirit-guided reflection of the church and the dogmatic definition, we have a clearer understanding of, of what is fully meant by that. You are full of grace. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have been prepared by grace to receive the one whose advent, who's coming, I'm about to announce to you. So that would imply that full of grace is not that you have a lot of grace, it's that you're completely permeated by grace in a way that no other human being is. That's a good way to put it. Okay, okay. And then later on in the Hail Mary, blessed art thou amongst women. Uh, is there is that the angel Gabriel saying, you're not just you know blessed in, in, the, in the modern sense of that term, but... You are you are distinct amongst women. There's something utterly unique about you, and utterly unique um, amongst all people. All right. So, in terms of among women, in terms of the the woman's natural maternal role, yes, you know, distinct. Okay. Um, but also, no other person has in history has acted in such close proximity to the redemptive mission of Jesus as Mary has. So, in in, in relation to all disciples, all Christians. Yes, she is the member of the church. Yes, she is the preeminent member of the church, but mm-hmm. utterly distinct with, with distinct blessings and privileges. Mm-hmm. Now you've traveled. You've traveled all around the world in your in your position as an archbishop and as a priest. And I wonder if you have any favorite memories of this solemnity uh, of of the church, or even more generally of the church celebrating Mary. Uh, whether it was a, a cathedral or a celebration or a tradition that you encountered. Well, there's a couple of Marian shrines I've visited. And mm-hmm. This, in fact, would take us to the uh, to the other Feast of December, the Our Lady of Guadalupe. So I've been yeah. to Lourdes, Fatima, Guadalupe, Nock. Um, uh, Lourdes, Lourdes, they're all beautiful in their own way. Gosh, Lourdes has an a special has a special loveliness to it for sure. Um, yeah, I've been but, to but, I think, too. but I think, but I think. I think probably my favorite is Guadalupe, you know, okay. in Mexico. So you've well, been there to the Shrine of Our Lady uh-huh, of Guadalupe. I have, yeah. And okay. the um, well, we know the story how she appeared to Juan Diego. She appeared um, 
as as an indigenous woman speaking to an indigenous man, and, and hence from that the the beautiful beautiful attachment of indigenous peoples, you know, to this particular uh, title of Mary. But there's there's a line that Mary used in speaking to Juan Diego. Um, when he 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 was concerned, he was worried about the about the illness of his uncle, right, and mm-hmm. um, wanting to do other things other than what <laughs> Mary was asking him yeah. to do. But she said to him, and these words are right above the entrance to the basilica at, at the shrine of Guadalupe. Am I not here? Who am your mother? Mm-hmm. I'm your mother. I'm with you. What are you worried about? Am I not here? Who am your mother? Mm-hmm. And I just remember being in the middle of the, this big, big square, you know, from the Basilica of Guadalupe, and looking at those words, and I said, "Yeah, what are we worried about? You know, what are we going on about? You know, she's here. She's she's with us. And I think it's probably that. Mm-hmm. Um, Didn't she also refer to Juan Diego as like my little? My little man, like she was very yeah, affectionate to him. Yeah, My little Juanito sure, or sure. something. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. It's just, just beautiful, tender. Right? Very tender. Our Blessed Mother is so tender towards us and so close. Yeah. Why did you go to Mexico? Well, to I just Guadalupe? wanted to. I wanted you to visit. Wanted to. I wanted to visit, and and in fact, you know, it was it was it was special because the basilica, it has this sort of a big cone uh, steeple above it, and I didn't know it, but within that are offices and and residences. And so I got in touch with the archdiocese of Mexico. Any suggestions as to where I might stay? And so on. I was traveling with a friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 leave it with us. We'll pick you up at the airport and we'll find a spot for you. I said, great. So I didn't think about anything more. Yeah. And then um, uh, some, they arranged to pick us up at the airport, which was great. And they're driving. I still didn't know where we were going. Right? You were a man of great trust. Trust. So Not everyone travels like that. We arrived <laughs> at the Basilica and I'm meeting people. This is, this is lovely. I'm still kind of wondering, well... When are you taking me to wherever I'm going, some hotel? Yeah. And uh, here, come over here, get in the elevator. And so, so we had a couple of apartments within the roof, if I can put it that way, of the Basilica for the time that we were there. So I, all I needed to do was take the elevator down uh, to the sacristy, and then I was in the church. And uh, when they learned I was a bishop, they asked if I'd celebrate one of the masses there, which was a wonderful honor. And then I was able to meet with some people who were able to take me up in behind the um, that beautiful, beautiful encasing of Mary's t- of the tilma. Oh yes, where Mary had uh, Juan Diego's tilma that has the image of Mary imprinted upon it. And is it clear the image of Mary? What is it? it it's uh, it's astoundingly, astonishingly clear. It has that's the miracle of it, and there you see the truth of it. It has it has lasted through all kinds of calamities, and scientists looking at this, particularly the material on which the the Im- image was imprinted they said there's no there's no way that a material like this should ever have lasted hundreds of years the way that it has right and I was able to get up close and to see the tilma to pray before it and so lots of lots of graces and blessings in that visit so it's a beautiful beautiful place to go what does that do to your faith going to those places of, of holiness and miracles and well Mary? it's 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 my way of of uh, I know Mary's with me right but we know Mary's with us she's always close but it's it's sort of a uh, expression on my part of wanting to draw close to her because she's the one who draws me close to her son, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the, 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 the more I am, now I, we understand, of course, theologically, that it's the Holy Spirit that unites us to Christ. That's, that's the mission of the Spirit. And yet Mary has a role, and it's a very effective role. And, and I just find that um, 
if my life is going off the rails a little bit spiritually, if I turn to her, she gets me back on track. She gets me to her son. So I like to, I like to maintain that relationship and deepen it. She's very much the blessed mother, but always directing us to her son. Do whatever he tells you. With Our Lady of uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, she's also the patroness of the Americas. Yes, South America, North America. What does that mean when when a saint, and particularly Our Lady, is a patroness? Protector. Okay. All right. And so she is the one who um, is is our patron, our protector, our one overseeing and looking after us. If I can put it in those terms, mm-hmm. and uh, that was defined um, by John Paul II, right? I think it was in his. Uh, Apostolic Exhortation Ecclesia in America. Now, this we can do a, a check on this. I think that's where he made clear that she was to be understood for all of us here in the Western Hemisphere as patroness of the Americas, of America in that broad sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, and I wish yeah I wish we'd latch onto that more in this hemisphere because this I've said this in many cases. You know, the Western Hemisphere, if you look at it demographically. And nominally, it's it's probably at least two-thirds Catholic. Right? But if we were really, really embracing the truth of our Catholicism and living authentic Catholic lives in this Western Hemisphere, we wouldn't have all these terrible social problems that, that are besetting us right now. And so I'd like to see us turn more and more and more back to Mary as our patroness, as our mother who's with us, and say, please, Blessed Mother, pray Get us back on track. Help us to know how to listen to your son to do whatever he tells us to do. And like you said, um, it's significant that Juan Diego, St. Juan Diego, to whom Our Lady Guadalupe appeared, he was an indigenous Mexican man. And Mary appeared uh, not as a a Jewish or Aramaic or Israeli woman. She appeared as an indigenous woman. Yeah, speaking to him, his language is very particular language, right? Yeah. How does that relate, especially to... Um, this this beautiful movement of, of healing and, and reconciliation with uh, indigenous peoples. Well, in you'll find Canada. that, and I'm thinking of one gentleman in particular, but you'll find that um, many of the indigenous peoples will gravitate to her under that title for that very reason. Mm-hmm. Because it, just in the way that she appeared and the way that she spoke, signals right from the start her profound, the, the mother of God, the mother of the church, her profound respect for indigenous custom and tradition and, and and the ability of the gospel to enter into that and draw out its deepest truth and unite that to the truth uh, that is Jesus. So a lot of people in the indigenous world will, will gravitate towards that instinctively. Um, but it's, it's also a reminder to all of us that Mary wants to enter into the reality of our lives and bring to us the truth of her son that find life. Is there anything else that you want to say about what happened with the Our Lady of Guadalupe and how she appeared, what her what her main message was? Why did she appear? Why did that matter? You know, any mother wants to be close to her children. Yeah. And and so Mary, you know, the queen of heaven in heaven now, never loses that desire to be close to her children. And for reasons known only to God, Mary will appear to her children at different points in history in different in different contexts, but always with the same message: draw close to her son. If there's sin, mm-hmm. repent, come back to him. He 
as he alone is Savior, and it is only in him that we find life. Yeah, because as I understand it, when she appeared in Mexico, there was a lot of there was a lot of strife, there was a lot of violence, there was a lot of, of paganism in, in, in a very negative sense in that in that Mexican and society. Brought, and it brought forth one of the most astounding instances of conversion to the faith. Thousands and thousands of people in response to this appearance, in response to the message within the appearance, converted to Christ, converted to the church. Yeah. Response to the it's it just an astounding sheer astounding volume thing. of so, people that converted. So patroness, mother of the new evangelist, star of the new evangelization. That's another phrase that John Paul II has used in in, in regard to her. So, oh, specifically for Our Lady of Guadalupe. Yeah. So let's let's ask her to to so pray for us that we're brought back to her son and renewed for a new proclamation of the gospel in our time. The star of the new evangelization. Yeah, beautiful. Huh? Oh, that is beautiful. Now, in our own our archdiocese of Edmonton. Uh, particularly in Edmonton itself, we have a parish, Our Lady of Guadalupe yeah. Parish. Yeah. Uh, Very and, dynamic. I love, yeah. I love visiting that parish. Oh, yeah. when was I love last, visiting all of them. Yeah. That one. Do you have any fond memories of, of particularly visiting them or celebrating with them? Well, I remember going and saying, you're going to say the Mass in Spanish. It's, I don't speak Spanish. It doesn't matter. You're going to say the Mass yeah. in Spanish. So here's the text. And, and, no the, and the parish priest would help me. So, yes, I struggled through and said, said the Mass in Spanish. But I just remember the... Uh, the vivacity, the dynamism of the parish when they celebrated with their, with their Latin singing and uh, everything that went—it just, it just exuded joy and enthusiasm for the church and for the faith and everything. I just, I just love being. I haven't been able to get back there the last couple of years for whatever reason. So hopefully, I can do that again. And as I understand, your one of your predecessors, uh, Archbishop McNeil, oh. he actually designated Our Lady of Guadalupe Parish as a, as a, a national uh, church for Spanish-speaking Catholics. Well, it's it's out of recognition of the fact that we have many, many people who have come to us in this area from Latin America, mm-hmm. Central America, uh, so Mexico, Central America, South America. And when you go to the parish, all those different uh, Countries are represented, represented beautifully. In fact, they have a tradition of having a, of a lunch after Mass and the different countries, people representing the different countries, will take turns hosting the lunch with native dishes and so on. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Oh, that is, that is it really is wonderful. Yeah, yeah well, and in the show notes, we'll leave a link to Our Lady of Guadalupe yeah. Parish. I was talking yeah. to their pastor um, in preparation for this, this episode. He wasn't able to join us um, because of oh, scheduling. Okay. But he uh, he mentioned that there are, there are great celebrations, of course, when with the feast day on December twelfth, yep. yep. um, they'll be celebrating. So we'll, lots of joy. There'll be information there. Um, so yeah, December eighth, the the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. December twelfth, the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, do you mind closing in a prayer as we anticipate these these feasts? Well, you know, why don't we why don't we just pray together? And whoever is watching or listening, we invite them to pray along with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the prayer that the church offers to the Blessed Mother. Mm-hmm. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed, blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God pray, pray for us sinners, sinners now, now and at the, the hour, hour of our, our death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Well, it's always a joy, your grace. And, oh, I enjoyed, I enjoyed and this too. It's really wonderful hearing you speak about Our Lady. Whenever she comes up in conversations, you it's just it's great to hear your, your love for her. Uh, well, she loves us all. So yeah, thanks, everybody, for watching. Hope you found it great. helpful along your, your journey of faith. Okay. Just know that I'm praying now, I will, for you. This, and, 
If you would, be so kind as to pray for us also. Every blessing to you. God bless. God bless.